This is the Historian's Podcast, and I'm Bob Cudmore. Later in this episode, we'll hear from Montgomery County, New York historian Kelly Yakabuchi Farquhar. First, some news about a techie tool to publicize history. Cycling the Erie Canal, a path through history, is an audio tour of Montgomery County historic sites available through a free app that can be downloaded to smartphones. To download the Travel Stories app, visit Google Play or the Apple Store. Travel Stories is a Wyoming-based company that produces GPS-triggered audio vignettes for travelers. Each narration will automatically play when the traveler enters the story's geographical area. Listeners can hear 35 historical vignettes while traveling the recently completed Erie Canalway bike trail from St. Johnsville to Amsterdam. The stories were compiled and edited by Montgomery County historian Kelly Yakabuchi Farquhar. I'm the narrator on the uh, Travel Stories production. The Montgomery County Tourism Department of the Fulton Montgomery Regional Chamber of Commerce, in partnership with the county's Economic Development Office and the Department of History and Archives, produced the audio project. Here are three stories from Cycling the Erie Canal's audio tour, Putman's Canal Store, The Noses, and we begin with Fort Clock, Saved by the Muzzle Loaders. You can see a thick stone structure just north of the Mohawk River near St. Johnsville as you travel the bike trail. This is Fort Clock, a National Historic Landmark. Johann Clock built the stone house for his family in 1750 as a place of refuge for family and neighbors during an uneasy time in American history. The fortified home has walls over two feet thick and is heavily loopholed on every side for defense with windows that can be covered by sturdy wood shutters. The self-contained fort clock was used during both the French and Indian War and the American Revolutionary War. The Battle of Clock's Field, which was the last battle of the destructive 1780 Loyalist raid on the Mohawk and Schoharie Valleys, is said to have been fought just to the west of the fort on land owned by George Clock. Loyalist was the term used to describe residents who maintained their allegiance to the British crown. Today, Fort Clock is owned and operated by Fort Clock Historic Restoration a group of dedicated ordinary citizens working together to preserve this historic site. But there was a time when this important piece of history was almost lost. After Leip Clock passed away in the 1930s, the family moved to St. Johnsville and was unable to manage the farm. The fort was abandoned, fell into disrepair for about 20 years. In 1953, Twelve young men, interested in collecting and shooting antique guns, formed a group called the Tryon County Muzzle Loaders. Seeking a home base for their meeting place, the group found the rundown Fort Clock property. The Muzzle Loaders' leader, Willis Skip Barshai, Jr., arranged to meet with the fort's owner, a descendant of the fort's original owner, Johan. 
After agreeing to work on restoration of the historic property, the muzzleloaders received a long-term lease. Restoration began, and the blacksmith shop was put back into service, fashioning some of the iron hardware needed for the job, showcasing a working industry which served the community and those traveling the roads on horseback. In 1957, the property owner died, and the fort and property were deeded to the muzzleloaders. The fortified homestead was open to the public for tours in 1961. In 1973, the name of the organization was changed to Fort Clock Historic Restoration, and the property was designated a National Historic Landmark. Today, the Fort Clock Historic Restoration includes a Dutch barn built around 1790 and relocated to the fort in 1989. The Little Red Schoolhouse from around 1825, a one-room school reminding us of a nearly vanished early American institution, and the blacksmith shop. The next story from Travel Stories, the audio guide to the bike trail in Montgomery County, The Noses, Local Geology. Traveling through the Mohawk Valley, visitors are often amazed at the geological formations on either side of the Mohawk River. Notice how the formations resemble a particular facial feature. The noses, as they are called, represent the only natural break in the Appalachian mountain chain from Georgia to Maine. In the prehistoric age, before this area became the Mohawk Valley, primitive rock pushed up to form steep, rugged, mountainous hills. During the Ice Age, the force of nature made its mark as glaciers and water cut through the hills, breaking the landscape and allowing water to flow. Thus was born the Noses, so named from as far back as anyone can remember. Even during Revolutionary War times, Sir John Johnson referred to them by this name in communication with the commander of the British forces in Canada. When reporting on his raid on the Mohawk Valley, he wrote, quote, From thence we marched on, laying waste to everything before us on both sides of the river, up to the Nose, where we arrived and encamped at twelve that night, securing the narrow passage on both sides of the river. Local author and historian Doug Ayers wrote of the noses that, in spite of modern progress in transportation and communication and industry, the Big Nose Mountain particularly retains its wild character. This wild character is found in the metamorphic rock one sees rounding the nose, in the wildlife, particularly the rattlesnakes that can be found, and in the flowing dogwood trees and wild azaleas blooming on the slopes. The noses are located between Sprakers and Fultonville. Around the throughway, they're between Fultonville and Canajoharie. Little Nose is on the south side of the river. Big Nose is on the north side. Yankee Hill Putman Store capitalism on the canal is our next vignette. On the bike trail, when you pass a certain line, you'll hear the following message. You're now approaching the Putman store and Yankee Hill Lock on the old Erie Canal. Momentarily, you'll be able to see a yellow structure as you look toward the Mohawk River. 
One of the most important features of daily life along the canal was the canal store. In the 14-mile section of canal around Amsterdam, there were more than 40 stores, and you can see one of them at Yankee Hill. This building was a typical canal store. Putman's Lock Grocery was located at the Erie Canal's Yankee Hill Lock Number 28, the last double lock completed in New York when the canal was enlarged in 1841. The grocery was owned by the Garrett Putman family from about 1855 to the early 1900s. The basement of the grocery contained a tavern, while the Putman family maintained living quarters in part of the store. You can see a photograph of what it actually looked like during the canal era on one of the interpretive panels on site. There was a store located at just about every lock on the canal. Boats often encountered delays at the locks, providing a perfect opportunity for boatmen to disembark and buy whatever they needed. The variety of goods and services provided was astonishing and included all kinds of food for both animals and people, fresh water, lamp oil, rope, hardware, patent medicines, harnesses, and dime novels. In addition to providing material goods, the stores filled a social need. People came to the store to exchange news. To help you imagine the scene, here's a selection from the 1873 source Harper's Magazine. A sparse collection of shabby buildings is also near a lock, foremost being a grocery store, a canal grocery. Here is gathered a pack of ill-favored fellows, vagabonds, and idlers. The interior is gloomy and has a very insalubrious atmosphere, but there's no article in the range of an ordinary boatman's necessities that cannot be obtained from this mart. There is more information inside the building, including a mural, to give visitors an idea of what might have been stocked on the shelves. Those were three examples of the stories on cycling the Erie Canal. Right after this brief message, we'll talk with Montgomery County, New York historian Kelly Yakabuchi Farquhar. This is Bob Cudmore, and here at the Historian's Podcast, we depend on your contributions to keep the podcast going. We have a GoFundMe campaign. You can find more information about it at GoFundMe.com or on my website, bobcudmore.com. You can donate online, or you can write out a check to me, Bob Cudmore, and send to 125 Horseman Drive, Scotia, New York, 12302. And thank you very much. We welcome Kelly Yakabuchi Farquhar to the Historian's Podcast. How you doing, Kelly? Good, Bob. Thank you. How are you? I'm okay. Kelly uh, Farquhar was the compiler and editor of the Cycling the Mohawk Valley Project Historical Vignettes. How did you get involved in this project? Well, Amanda Bearcroft, who was the planner for Montgomery County's Economic Development um, Department, she contacted me and brought me into the project and asked if I would, you know, help out and be a part of finding stories or, um, you know, coming up with historical information that could be used 
mm-hmm. on the app. W- was there any problem finding the stories? No, there were too many, actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, we had to cut down considerably because we only had a certain amount of time that we could use for the app for the different stories. Right. Yeah, and also you had needs uh, in your end of it, if you will. You're the historian for the whole county. This is a Montgomery County project, so you needed to basically cover as many places in Montgomery County, I would think, uh, as you could, and, and in fact you have. Yeah, that's correct, because the app covers... Um, the easternmost point of the county to the westernmost point. So we wanted to make sure we touched on everything that we possibly could. And, of course, there are things that we would have liked to include that we couldn't, but hopefully in the future we can expand on those. Mm. The ones that I picked for this uh, episode of Historian's Podcast, just three of the, I believe, 35 uh, vignettes, I picked one about the the early settlers, early European settlers with uh, Fort Clock out in uh, western Montgomery County. And the other one was about that tremendous natural feature uh, in the, along the Mohawk River in the county called the Noses, where these two mountains kind of almost touch each other, the only break in the uh, terrain of the mountains of the Appalachians from Georgia up to here to, to New York, and then something about the Erie Canal. So what are some of the other topics? I mean, you did have a number about the um, revolution in the Erie War, and you did have a number about the Erie Canal and you know, the natural features. Uh, what else do you have in the, uh, in the list? Uh, well, we tried to touch on the Underground Railroad activity that was here in Montgomery County. Um, we talked about other um, points of interest like the state forests out in Charleston. Mm-hmm. Um, and we talked about, you know, the Tribes Hill Suspension Bridge. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we, we tried to cover as many periods in our county's history as we possibly could, as well as uh, other points of interest. But also, you are um, you need to describe things that you can see from this bike trail, right? Correct. Uh, that's one of the caveats of the script for the canal, uh, the app, because you had to put it in a format so that the visitor who was traveling along via along the bike path, you know, on either cycling or walking the the trail, um, things that could be pointed out to them. So, like, you wanted to use visual cues, Mm -hmm. um, things that they would see to their right or left. And the way the script works is it would be applicable if you were traveling east to west or vice versa from west Mm -hmm. to east. Mm -hmm. And... For example, the first one that we used on today's program is on the other side of the river from uh, the bike trail. But I I gather you can see Fort Clock from the south side of the river. You can. You can. And and as I said, you know, we wanted to try to touch as much as we possibly could in Montgomery County. So, yeah, there are features on the app that are not visible within the, the purview of the, the bike path, but they're also important to Montgomery County history. Mm. This um, app, 
probably hasn't seen a lot of use yet. That'd be my thought. In that it came out just as the the weather was going south, you know, for the for the you know the snow season, if you will. So, yeah. I, so I mean, do you know if it's been used or people have tested it out? I don't. I know that we put in a press release um, not that long ago um, in October, and. I, I haven't seen any numbers, but um, hopefully it will get some use, and then it'll definitely be ready for the season coming up in 2020, the, the summer season. And as you said, you can ride a bicycle or you can walk. Is it conceivable, I mean, people could do this by car, I mean, uh, and get out of the car and see something when they get into the area of a certain app? Sure, I, I think that's certainly possible. Um, you know, the app is interactive, so if you're approaching a certain point um, on the app, a, a photograph will come up, um, you know, some further information, and we're hoping to encourage visitation to some of the sites that are marked on the app. Yeah, that would that would be good. I downloaded the app, and... You can also just, if you're interested in history or Montgomery County history, you can just sit there and listen at home if you want, right? Sure, sure. I know we've had different inquiries about audio tours. And, um, you know, there was one done a number of years ago, an an audio tour, um, and it was on a cassette. So, you know, since then it has gone out of date and i don't believe there are any of those cassettes mm-hmm. available any longer um so hopefully this brings us into the 21st century and um you know we'll we'll get some widespread use yeah and, and this is relatively new is it not i mean being able to do this uh, you're a montgomery county historian I, you, you stay in touch with other historians around the state you know of other counties in new york that are doing this I don't. I I do know that uh, when we had talked to the owners of the app, um, utilizing the tours in this area with that app was relatively new um, Mm -hmm. in New York State. So, you know, it it may have caught on since then. We started developing this in early 2018. Mm -hmm. So it has taken, you know, the better part of two years to complete everything by the time you know we put the stories together and they um compiled the tour with the technology and then having you narrate um mm-hmm. the stories yep. it, it's it's been you know a time it to took, do it. took a while yeah and it, as i understood the story now you mentioned amanda bearcroft who i think was sort of the initial um uh, person who thought of doing this, hadn't she met the these people, travel stories at some sort of uh, government conference They where they had a booth or something like that? Yeah, I believe it was the World Canal Conference. That was in Syracuse um, in 2017 or 18. Um, yeah, she had met with them as well as Gina DeBerry-Gibbs, who was with the Fulton Montgomery um, Chamber of Commerce. And they both met with the owner and, you know, talked over the idea. And uh, Amanda wrote a grant and was able to get some funding for this. Yeah, very good. Well, we'll see how that goes since, since we have uh, have you here on the, on the program. Uh, let me ask you about the Montgomery County history. You, uh, your offices are located 
at a government building in Fonda, the county seat, which is called the Old Courthouse. What are the facilities that you have there for historical and genealogical research? Well, we have a research library that actually got its start around 1934. And what we have here is a great collection um, touted by some as the third largest government-owned collection of genealogical resources. But we have, you know, church records and cemetery records, um, county and local histories, um, published and unpublished genealogies. uh, And we have a wonderful collection of original court documents from Montgomery and Tryon County, which was our previous name um, when it was created in 1772. So we have court documents that date back to 1772. And it's a wonderful resource, like you said, for doing genealogy and local history research. And uh, we're always trying to improve our collection. Mm -hmm. Um, Thankfully, the collection got its start, as I said, in 1934. And Edward Sheehan, who was the archivist at the time, was able to get WPA projects to go out and procure copies of all these church records and cemetery records from across the state. So that was the catalyst for starting our collection, and then we've just tried to build upon that. Now, in addition to being county historian, I mean, this is a, a job that you have. It's um, is your, I believe it's called records management officer. What What records are involved there? Well, as the records management officer, I oversee the retention and disposition of the county's inactive records. So other county departments that don't maintain their older records within their offices, they will send them over to our record center, and we still have to keep them for a period of time um, that is identified according to the the state's, um, what was called the... uh, CO2 retention schedule for counties. Okay. What, why, what use is made of them, or what, what, what might be a way these would be used? Well, they, they still have to be kept for a period of time. Um, it's just that they may not be actively used by that particular department in their office. So rather than taking up office space, they'll send them to me for storage. Okay. Um, And they occasionally may have to retrieve records from them, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, whether it be, you know, a case file or, um, you know, somebody who needs information for their retirement or, or, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, So the, the record still has to be kept for a period of time. How long have you been the historian and records officer? I have been, I'm just completing my 23rd year. Is that right? At, uh, it, within the department, yes. So, um, But I was appointed in 2000, so I'll be finishing up my 19th year. As the, uh, the, as as the, the historian. historian and RMO, yes. Because I know well your predecessor, Jackie Murphy, and, uh, and you as, as well. And there, and there were others over the years who um, served as county historian. Correct. Yes. Um, Violet Fallone, she was here in the department. Actually, she was here since 1970. And in 1984, she became the county historian. And then the records management program was implemented within the county in 1989. So she served as both 
county historian and records management officer at that time. And then, as you said, my predecessor, Jackie Murphy, served in that capacity. And the, the genealogical research, maybe especially, brings people to Montgomery County and, and probably accounts for a, a lot of the tourism dollars spent, uh, for example, staying and eating in Montgomery County where people look for their roots. Sure. I mean, we've had people from all over the country and from different different countries as well um, that will come and spend sometimes, you know, a couple days up to, you know, a week or a couple weeks at a time um, coming to do research here. Wow. Also, you would wanted to bring up um, something in this uh, conversation about a, a program that you may be instituting called Coffee with, the, with Historians. Yes, yes. Uh, that's something that an idea that we've been uh, throwing around, and I, and every time I've mentioned it to people who've come into the department, they think it's a wonderful idea. So, I think we might start in in January. Um, maybe one one Friday a month, we'll take a few hours and have a historian, whether it be myself or another municipal historian, or maybe someone from Schoharie Crossing, or you know um, another organization and then just have them come and if anyone has questions or um, just things that they want to talk about Mm -hmm. with that particular historian uh, we want to provide a a space for them to do so yeah it sounds good and there are a a bunch of municipal historians right in uh, Mm -hmm. montgomery county do you have any dealings with them or do you have any responsibility toward them as the county historian I do. I actually try to host a meeting with the municipal historians, which would constitute the town and village historians, as well as the city historian for Amsterdam. Um, We try to get together and have meetings a couple of times a year where we, you know, just go over different things that are coming up, um, issues that we might be facing, um, you know, different strategies for approaching um, documenting our history or, you know, just doing the work that we do. Mm. How did you get interested in this line of work? Uh, I, I studied history when I went to college. Um, so I graduated with a Bachelor of Arts degree. And interestingly enough, I started doing my own family genealogy when I was eh, probably about 17 or 18 and my mom and I came into the Department of History and Archives at that point, and I, I said, oh, my God, this would be a fantastic place to work. I, I can't imagine. And luckily, after I graduated from college, I got a job here um, under Jackie Murphy, mm-hmm. um, and I've been here ever since. Is that right? Yeah. And where are you from? You're, you're from a community in Montgomery County. Yep, I grew up in Canajoharie. Mm-hmm. And um, and so you, were you successful in finding your ancestry? <laughs> Actually, the that particular line that I was researching, no. Um, but since then, I have discovered, yeah, I have a lot of roots that I can find within the records here. And also, and we're, we just have a few seconds left, you have done uh, quite a bit of work on African-American history in Montgomery County. Yeah, I've been working on that probably since the early 2000s. Um, 
you know, when I was in college, I I did some work um, researching some underground railroad activity in the Capital District, and I think that, you know, got my interest peaked. And when I came here and we, Jackie Murphy and I were working on what we call steeplechase, um, our histories of churches within certain communities. Um, And having grown up in Kanjahari, I found out that there was an African Methodist Episcopal Zion Church there in the 1800s, and I had never heard of it, so that just kind of got the ball rolling. Kelly Yakabuchi farquhar is a Montgomery County, New York historian. You've been listening to The Historian's Podcast. I'm Bob Cudmore.